song. Uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 16. We've kind of been in this area for the last couple of weeks. While you're flipping there, I have a card I'd like to read to you. It says, um, I always thank God for you. It says, God's love shines in good people with kind hearts doing nice things. Thanks for shining on the Harper family during our time of grief. We love you all, Ricky and family. So we want to just, um, Ricky handed me this card this morning and asked me to read it to the church. Appreciate those that helped this week and showing love to them and, and for providing food here. But uh, don't stop praying for them. Keep praying. Uh, just because the service is over and the meal is over, uh, they probably need your prayers more now than they've ever needed them. So keep lifting them up. And uh, for Miss Rita as well. As you're flipping there to 1 Samuel to 16, I was, um, I, I got some guests here this morning I'm tickled to see. And uh, I got the Lashleys on the second row there. These are some we had people from Patterson visit the other day. These are from Patterson Baptist as well. It's Mr. Marvin, Ms. Christy. And um, see if I can get y'all's names right. I won't get you messed up. Y'all swapped on me a while ago because you were sitting there, wasn't you, Jamie? Well, I thought Jamie was sitting next to his mom. This is Abigail and Jamie and um, Silas. And they teach our middle school, or not ours, I'm not there anymore, but they teach the middle school Sunday school class at Patterson Baptist. And, and uh, they're also friends. They helped us pack when we were moving to go to uh, Montana, they came over and, and fried fish for us. And hey, I'm gonna tell you what, any friends that'll come over and fry fish for you at your house, those are good friends, okay? Those are good friends. So they come and helped us pack up a truck and, and hung out with us our last full day there at home and done a few things like that. So we're tickled to see them this morning. Of course, we got Chris and Katie back with us and they visited a couple of weeks ago. And Chris, uh, Katie, I'll tell you something funny, okay? Can I tell you something funny? I didn't, I wasn't planning on sharing this because it just happened right there on the front row. But you guys were singing the Who Am I uh, by Casting Crowns, and it's an awesome song. And I flipped over in the front of my Bible to something that I wrote a long time ago. And I don't even know where I got it from. I don't know if it's a quote. I don't know if it's something I came up with. I have quotes all in the front of my Bible that when I read, I write them down and put who, who said them. But this one says, I am who you say I am. Uh, and that's kind of where that song is coming from. It's who we are today is not based on what somebody else thinks of you or, what, uh, or what, even what you think of you. It is based on what God thinks of you. And so that's a really an awesome thing, and it goes on with our sermon. But then as I'm sitting there, Katie, reading this, I'm looking at a few more quotes, and I flip over, and I have this big stain in the bottom of my Bible. Can anybody see that big stain right there? Well, that stain got there a couple of years ago. Do you know how it got there? Probably not. Okay. She's going, I don't know where we're going with this. Well, here's where we're going with this. A couple of years ago, we almost sunk a boat in a harbor in Haiti uh, outside of a town that I don't even remember the name of. Chris, do you? Okay. Well, we, we were down there with Brother Emery and Miss Mary, and I shared this with you guys the other day, but we had come back up and then turned it's a couple of hours anyway from uh, Port Salute. We went down there and we had taken a boat ride across the ocean. And when I say a boat ride, don't think of anything fancy, okay? It's just like a big wooden John boat. It's long, it's wide, and uh, a couple of Haitians on the back operating, you know, one on the back operating the motor, one up front navigating. 
And uh, how many head of people do we have in this thing? 20-something. Yeah, too many. Yeah, too many and a ninth worth of luggage. So we're sitting low in the water, okay? And I said I'd never go out further than I could swim, Brother Andy. And I was way further than I could swim. Okay, let me tell you. We went a long ways across to get to this island. We come back the next day, pull up there to the, to the dock, and, and, and it's just chaos right there. A truck had, the dock had give way in one spot. Truck, dump truck had flipped over in the, in the bay area there. We get over there, and we're trying to get out of this boat. We have to climb up on this cement dock, okay? And we're sitting down in this boat, and waves are kind of rocking us into this dock. And about that time, I think it was a tugboat maybe. I don't remember what kind of boat it was. I don't remember. Some boat, anyway, pulls up in the harbor, and it's small. Well, when he does, he throws waves in our area. Brother Emery's standing up on the front of the boat, Trying to, trying to grab the dock as we're rocking back in two. There's a, there's a plot, though, or where we're going with all this, okay, a point. We're rocking back in two. Well, the boat rocks into this concrete dock so hard that Emery falls, almost falls out of the boat. He falls hard. Well, in the midst of all of this, Katie's already a little stressed. I think she has issue with boats and water already. And we're all trying to make sure that everybody's okay. And the next thing I see at the corner of my eye is a backpack flying through the air. Now, when church is over, you're going to look at Katie and you're going to say, she don't look like she could do that. We didn't think she could do that either. But she throws her backpack up on the dock and like a cat, she comes out of that boat. I mean, she, she, she does something most Olympic athletes can't do, okay? She's scaled over and we all looking like, how'd you get up there? And I don't think she knew either. But in her panic of that boat sinking, but that's how my Bible got wet. The water washed over in the boat soaked us all, almost sunk the boat. So every time when I looked at that a while ago, I thought of your little jump that you made that day. I will never forget. No, it wasn't? Okay. Yeah, they took that same trip last, last year. So, uh, but I'm sorry, I had to share that with y'all. You'll forever be known for that in my mind as the one who jumped up on the concrete dock, and I don't even know how you done that. But anyway, we're in uh, 1 Samuel today. 1 Samuel. It's funny now. It wasn't funny that moment, was it? It wasn't funny at all. I did think we were about to sink that boat. 1 Samuel 16. The title of our sermon today is this. For the Lord does not see as man sees. And that is taken straight out of verse 7 in chapter 16. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Now, let's go ahead and just jump into our scripture here. Verse 1, we'll read down. We'll look at a few things. I had three points, but I'm saving the point number three for tonight. We've been looking at Joshua on Sunday night, but I just want to do point three tonight. So you've got to come back because you don't want to miss point three. To me, it's the best point of all. But I, I want to do it justice, and I don't want to cram all of this in there today and, and not give it the, uh, the adequate time that it needs. Verse 1, though, 1 Samuel chapter 16 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. 
So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse said, or excuse me, then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So we went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let us pray. Father God, uh, again, thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. God, we're thankful for uh, just how it's spoken into our life this week. And, and God, I pray that our hearts would be open um, as the question w was posed this morning through our, our, our ladies leading worship through Ron. God, what are we here for? God, I pray that's the question we would all ask ourselves this morning. What are we here for? God, if we're here just to be seen, we're here for the wrong reasons. God, if we're here just to check off a box, we're here for the wrong reasons. But God, if we're here to meet with you this morning... God, that is why we need to be here, God. And I pray that in order for us to meet with you, Lord, we're going to have to open up our hearts. We're going to have to realize that you see us for who we are. God, I can't fool anybody, or I can fool everybody, I should say, in this room, but I can't fool you. And God, I pray that everyone here today, Lord, would realize that they can't fool you either. That, Lord, today is the day you have given us. You have allowed us to be in your house, to hear words preached and, and scripture read. And God, today is the day that we get things right with you because today is the only day that we have. We may not have a tomorrow. We have right here, right now. And God, I pray that our hearts would be open. I pray that you would speak. I pray, God, that we would hear. And Lord, when we do hear, I pray through conviction of the Holy Spirit that we would make the necessary adjustments to be the people that you'd have us to be. So God, I pray for the, the blessing and the, over the reading of your word. And God, may it accomplish all that you would have it to accomplish. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, if you remember just quickly, um, just not going to go back and preach last week's sermon, but we've kind of been in, in uh, 1 Samuel 15 and 16 for the last um, couple of weeks now. We started about two or three weeks ago. We preached on Sunday night, 1 Samuel 17, about David defeating Goliath. And then we backed up for the last couple of Sunday mornings and we've looked at Saul, King Saul, and how he failed as a king. And so last week, if you remember, our, the title of our sermon was Delusional Disobedience. And we talked about how 
Paul, or King Saul allowed outside influences to dictate how he lived and how he ruled the nation of Israel. Uh, we also know that um, he was hypocritical with false repentance. Remember, he was like, I'm sorry, but he really wasn't sorry that he sinned against God. He was just sorry that God was about to be done with him. He was sorry that he got caught. He was sorry that, that when, when, when Samuel walked away from there that God was going to have nothing else to do with him. That's what he was sorry about. He wasn't really sorry that he sinned, that he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He, just, he was just kind of like we are sometimes in church. Uh, I think we get sorry sometimes when we get caught in our sin, but we're not really sorry for our sins. See, Saul could have been brokenhearted that he had sinned against the Holy God, and I believe God would have continued to use him, but he wasn't. And sometimes we fall into that category. We're not sorry that we've sinned against God. That should break our hearts today. We should, we should be brokenhearted that we sinned against God because he is, listen, this morning as we were singing that song, we have what we have because of the grace and mercy of God. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we deserve it. It's because he's been gracious to us. And so he deserves our obedience. But then also we see last week how he lost his blessings. He wasn't able to be the king anymore. God left him in the position, but his hand was no longer upon him. He just got to fulfill the position for a little while longer. But God's spirit was not with him anymore. Matter of fact, we'll look at that tonight a little bit more in detail. But this is where he was at. He had an arrogant attitude that he thought he could just lead God's people however he chose to lead it. And that didn't work too good for him. And if you'll remember, uh, if you were back, back up into 1 Samuel 15, you'll see this scripture here in verse 27 through 28, which is where we're at today. You'll see that as Samuel turned to walk away from Saul, it says that as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That neighbor, that's David. That's where we're at today. That's where we're going to pick up. So that's what took place last week. Saul is no longer, uh, he's no longer, no longer will he have God's hand upon him or his blessing as the king because of the disobedience that we read about last week. Now, as we get here, our first number, our point number one is the assignment. Now, I'll go ahead and give you both points. Uh, the first one is the assignment. Point number two will be the audience. Now, if you come back tonight, you get the anointing. Okay, that'll be tonight. Uh, but the assignment here is we see in verse 1, just to kind of back up, I read this to you already, but I want you to get a couple of things going on here. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Now, this morning as we look at this, Saul was mourning over King Saul. Now that word mourn there translates to this. He was doing the same kind of mourning that you would do for someone who had died in your family. That's what that word mourn means. It wasn't that he was just sitting back going, I can't believe what a knucklehead King Saul was. He was actually brokenhearted because you got to understand, Samuel as the prophet of God, his heart was that God would bless his people. He wanted everything to be in a godly fashion. The fact that Saul was the guy that God had put in position to lead Israel and he hadn't done so, that broke his heart. He was burdened by it. And so he was sorrowful here, and he mourned over the life that Saul had lived. 
But you probably asked the question this morning, why was he so sorrowful? Well, if you back, back up, back up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8, I want to show you something. This is the place the people of God had gotten to. 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're doing a little background study here to see how King Saul ended up being the king. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the second of his, uh, excuse me, and the name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons, get this, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. How would that make you feel? Man, if you're Samuel and you're trying to lead the best you can and you're, you're leading in a godly way and all of a sudden the elders show up and go, Samuel, you're just too old for the job, buddy. I'm sorry, you're just too old. Now, your sons, they were right about that. His sons weren't living the lives that they should have been living in the position they were in. But to be told this, he already knew it, but to be told it, it would have been disheartening. And verse 6 says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. All right, so what, here's what's going on. God is telling Samuel this. He's saying, the people want a king, you give them a king. But then you warn them. I want you to solemnly warn them about the man that they're about to get. In other words, Saul was their choice. They got what they wanted. Because, see, here's what God wanted to do. God wanted to rule and reign over the nation of Israel. See, the Israelites wanted a king. Why? Because everybody else had a king. And they looked around at all the other nations, and they had kings, and they said, well, we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king. But what the children of Israel didn't realize is all these other nations didn't have what they had, and they had a God that was taking care of them, that had led them out of bondage in Egypt, had, had given them food, and all of their, just, had just took care of them in all their needs, everything. So they wanted something worldly when God says, no, I want something better for you, and that's me. You, you just look to me. But they didn't want God. He wasn't enough. And church, I had news for you. When God, when God exists to be enough for us, we're in trouble. Okay, we're in big trouble. But to, to the Israelites, God wasn't enough. They said, we want a king. And so God told Samuel, he said, you give them what they want. You give them what, you give them what they want, but you warn them about what they're about to get. And, and he also told him, he says, and, and, and Samuel, don't be disheartened. They didn't reject you. When they told you you were too old and your sons weren't good enough, they weren't rejecting you. They were rejecting me. And so God says, you let them have what they want. Church, hear me today. 
I believe this is where we're at as a church sometimes. I believe this is where we're at as individuals. And I know this is where we're at as a country. If we're hard-headed enough sometimes, God will say, fine, you want it? Take it. It's yours. You have at that a while. See how that fits. Once you wear yourself out, you come back and see me. I, I think I've shared this with you guys before. I know I have at Patterson, so I know y'all have... Um, these guys have probably heard this before, but there's a guy over in Pierce County that I know um, that, that is, raises horses and done horse stuff as long as I can remember. My dad and I had rode over to their house one day to get something, and we rode up, and there's a horse out there that his, had the saddle on him, had the bridle, everything, and his neck, his head was tied back to the saddle. It was just tied back. And I got out. That caught my attention. I thought, I wonder what that's about, you know? So we walked up there to take care of whatever daddy was there to get. It's been so long ago, I don't even remember now. I was in my 20s. Some of y'all going, that is a long time ago. It was. And so, uh, but I remember walking up there, and we got what we was getting, and the guy come out, and, and I looked at him. I said, I got to ask you. I said, what's that about? I said, why do you have his head tied back? I, I, I got to know. He said, I've been working on him this morning. He said, trying to teach him how to neck rein. He said, and he's being hard-headed. He said, he keeps wanting to throw his head and throw his head and throw. He said, so finally I got off and said, okay, fine. You want to throw your head? I'll give you something to throw your head about. He said, so I tied his head back and left him. I said, how long has he been standing there? About two hours. He said, he can't run off. Horse can't run with his head tied back. He said, he's not going anywhere. And he had the dirt all messed up where he made circles, but he couldn't run off. He said, I'll give him another couple of hours. He said, because that's the way he kept wanting to throw his head. He said, so I said, fine. I'll tie it back for you. There, how about that? He said, and I'd be willing to bet that when I go out there, I'm going to be able to untie him and I can do whatever I want with him. He said, but I gave him what he wanted. He said, but what he wanted really wasn't what he wanted. And I've thought about that so many times and I thought, you know, God is the same way with us sometimes. He'll go, is that what you want? Then here, knock yourself out. And it takes us just beating ourselves down. That horse was standing out there. He was washed down in sweat. It was hot. And, and God will do us the same way. He'll say, hey, Vince, you wanted that? You take it, buddy. You knock yourself out. And when you get done, I'll be here waiting on you. How's that sound? And sadly enough, God has to do that with me sometimes. And that's where the children of Israel are. They wanted a king. God says, you know what? Give them a king. If that's what they want, you give them what they want. And so here's what's going on. Samuel, I believe, was sorrowful because he could look around him. If we go back into 1 Samuel 16, you can flip back there with me. I believe he could look around and he could just see the mess that everything was in. He could go all the way back to chapter 8 and go, I remember when the people turned their backs on God. I, I, remember, I remember when they wanted a king. We've got a king. He's turned his back on God. Uh, you know, God's rejected him. I, I don't even know where we're at. My sons aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And, and he was just looking and going, we're, we're in trouble. Kind of like he could be an American today a little bit, you know, because I look at our, our country, and we live in a great country. We were walking through Wild Adventures. Uh, this is extra. I just thought about it. We took my little girl to Wild Adventures uh, Friday for her birthday. And, uh, and if you want to go to Wild Adventures, now's the time to go. You have to wear a mask all day, but there's nobody there. Man, we rode and rode and rode. But anyway... Um, we were walking through the park, and I looked across there. And if you've ever been, you know what I'm talking about. On the back side of that little lake there, we were over there. And I looked across there, and they have a huge flag flying in the, in the entrance of Wild Adventures. It's big. And it was, man, it was just flying. 
And me and Connie sat down there on a the bench in the shade while the girls rode, and I was looking at that. I told Connie, I said, this is going to sound crazy to you. I said, but i got to say this. I said, because it's in my mind. And she says, what's that? I said, I don't support what our country stands for in a lot of things. I said, but that flag right there, I said, it still represents something. I said, whether our people are standing for it or not is beside the point, but that means something. It meant something to a lot of people, and it still means something to a lot of people. I happen to be one of those people. Just because we got a bunch of knuckleheads in our country right now doesn't mean that our country still doesn't need to be what it needs to be. And Christians is where it needs to start. We need to get on our, on our knees before God and pray. Because when I look at that flag, I think of all the people who fought and died for us to have the freedoms. And, uh, and this is extra. This ain't going to cost you anything this morning, okay? This is all free. But what those nutheads hadn't thought about yet is they have the freedom to stand on a street and throw a rock, which I do not support. But they have the right to stand in, the, in a street and throw a rock and scream at the top of their lungs how much they hate America because of the people who fought and died to give them that freedom. They hadn't thought about that, or at least they don't care. That's extra. So the next time we want to act like idiots, I'm sorry, but I'm, I can't watch too much news in a week, okay? This is where I get to. This is not politically correct, I know. But if it wasn't for the men and women who serve and fight and die, they wouldn't have the rights to do what they do. Now, back to Saul and Israel. How's that? I feel better, though. How about you? It's, it's releasing for me to say these things, okay? Just to get them out. All right, I've been holding that in for a while. Here we go. All right, so we see here that I believe this is why Samuel was sorrowful because he could look around and see everything was falling apart. I'm sorrowful today because I look around and see a lot of things falling apart, but God was still in control. And this is, listen, God was still in control in Israel too because this is what he tells Samuel. He says, how long are you going to mourn? See, and I have rejected him for reigning over Israel. See, the thing is, and we need to, listen, this is all extra stuff that's not in my notes. But what Saul, or excuse me, what Samuel forgot is what we forget sometimes is even when things start to unravel around us, it did not catch God off guard. God still knew what he was going to do, and he knew how it was going to play out. So he tells Samuel, he says, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Isn't that awesome? Check that out. He says, I have provided myself a king. Now, over in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, God says, give them what they want. Now, God is saying, you go to Bethlehem because I got a king that I've picked. Okay? Saul was the people's choice. I believe David was God's choice. And we're going to look at that now. If we go on over, in verse 4, notice what it says. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. I'm in 1 Samuel 16, 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? Now, Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe makes this comment here. It's kind of a long comment, but I, I thought it was noteworthy about the city of Bethlehem. This is really cool to me because Bethlehem has great significance in the Bible. Uh, and I, I jotted these things down. It was when Jacob and his family were on their way to Bethel that his, with his, uh, that his favorite wife, Rachel, died near Bethlehem while giving birth to Benjamin. That comes out of Genesis 35, 16 through 20. It was in Bethlehem that Ruth, get this, that Ruth, the widow 
from Moab found her husband Boaz and gave birth to Obed, David's grandfather. That's good stuff. Oh, you read all that stuff. It's good. That comes out of Ruth chapter 4. And of course, you can find it in Matthew chapter 1 as well. David himself would make Bethlehem a famous place. So would Jesus, the son of David, who would be born there as the scriptures promised in Micah and in Matthew. Now get this. Bethlehem means house of bread. And it was there that the living bread came from heaven to dwell in human and flesh. That's Jesus. Isn't that cool? So when we read about little David over here and, and Samuel going to Bethlehem, listen, that's, this Bethlehem wasn't just some place. It was, a, it was a significant place in prophecy and all of these things that God was going to bring the Messiah out of this. This is good. You want to come back tonight. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. But the Bible says in chapter, uh, or verse 4 that the elders trembled at Samuel's visit. Why did they tremble? And I'll tell you why. One is because he was God's man, Samuel was. He shows up in the town. They already know. Listen, it's gotten out. Word's gotten out that Saul and Samuel have not seen eye to eye on some things. Okay, people talk, even in Bethlehem, just like in Waynesville, people talk. Uh, gossip gets out. Man, they had heard, oh, hey, there's Samuel. The prophet's here. What's he doing here? I mean, when the prophet shows up to town, it can be good or bad. And, he, and, and listen, even Samuel was worried about it because he even said to God, God, I can't go to Bethlehem to anoint the new king. What if Saul finds out? He'll have me killed. They weren't seeing eye to eye. And even though Samuel was God's man, Saul was still the king. And he could do anything he wanted to do, and nobody could stop him. So, we get now into point number two, the audience. I'm about a third of the way through. No, I'm not. Y'all are like, uh, I'm almost halfway through. Maybe even farther. The audience. Notice what it says here in verse five. The elders, well, let's say what. Um, it says uh, in verse 4, they trembled, the elders did, and they asked Samuel, do you come peaceably? Verse 5 says, and he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So here we go. The audience here really was this. He invited probably more people to that than he probably had to or needed to, but it had to seem legit. You get what I'm saying? He's there to anoint the new king of Israel. He definitely wanted Jesse and his sons there because God had told Samuel that I'm going to anoint the new king of Israel. He'll come from the house of Jesse. It'll be one of his sons, but he didn't know who. He just knew. So he definitely needed them there. But he probably invited the elders and all there too just to keep up appearances so it looked suspicious so nobody could run back and go, all we know is he went and ate with, the, with Jesse and his sons and we don't know what happened. So this way it looks like a legit, I come to offer sacrifices with you guys, with you guys and Saul wouldn't be suspicious at all. Now, the Bible tells us here in verse 6 that as... They're there. It says, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Well, why would Samuel think that Eliab was going to be the new king? And I'll tell you why. Because he was the oldest. He was the oldest, probably the most mature looking. 
I don't know exactly how old he was, but we know he fought in Saul's army, so we know he was at least old enough to do that because he fought in the army. He was probably a warrior. He was probably athletic looking. And so Samuel looks and goes, that's got to be the new king. He looks like a king. But here's what's so funny. You know, you would think Saul would have learned from past experiences, or should I say past mistakes maybe. If you were to back back up with me, do that please. The 1 Samuel chapter 9, or you can just listen. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. This is when Saul's been chosen to be king. 1 Samuel 9, 2, it says, And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And then in 1 Samuel 10, Verse 23, the Bible says, So they ran and brought him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. In other words, Saul was this guy, according to Samuel, and Samuel's the one who wrote this. He's looking, he says, Man, when Saul walked in the room... He looked like a king. This guy was taller than everybody else, broad shoulders, athletic, looked like he could whip anybody in the room. And that's the kind of person you want representing you as a king. You want when the king walks out, everybody goes, that's got to be the king. I wouldn't make a good king. I'm a little guy. Could you imagine me trying to lead? I'm just a little squatty guy walking out there. I don't look like a king. Saul looked like a king. He's tall. He's big. And so that's what people wanted when they thought of a king. They wanted somebody who looked kingly. So when he sees Eliab, the oldest son, he probably fit the same bill. Taller, taller than most maybe because he's older, he's athletic, and he goes, that's got to be the king. It has to be. But notice what God says here in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we're going to look at a couple of passages here, and we're going to wrap it up. I want you guys to know something this morning, and, and we're just kind of stopping midstream, so you want to come back tonight, okay? You want to come back tonight. Don't, don't stay home. Come back and get, get the rest of it. To me, I think it's the better part. But God alone... Y'all need to understand me. God alone can search the human heart and know what's going on. See, Samuel was doing what the people had done and what even what Samuel had done. He was picking a king based on what the outside looked like. And that song tonight or this morning, Who Am I? See, that's what we do as people sometimes. As long as the outward appearance looks good, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We can fool a lot of people. We can impress a lot of people. But what we forget sometimes is there is somebody who can see beyond all of this, deep into the core of who we are, and that's God. We can't fool him. And so I want you to look at some scripture here with me real quick, like 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, First Chronicles 28, just want to establish some things. We're going to lay some groundwork. First, uh, First Chronicles, excuse me, First Chronicles 28, verse 9 says, As for you, 
my son Solomon, this is David later on in his years, talking to his son Solomon, who's getting ready to be the next king. It says, for as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. David is telling his son, he says, God knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intents. You need to make sure you're seeking him with everything that you have. Then go to Jeremiah with me. Go to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Look in verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah wrote this. He said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Again, the Lord searches the heart. He tests the mind to give every man according to his ways. Now, go to Romans with me. Two more places and we are done. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. It says, Now who, excuse me, now he who searches the heart, the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, I, I see in chapter 28, uh, verse 28 here, it says, um, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Uh, I told you guys we were at Wild Adventures Friday and I, I was right before we was getting ready to, well, we were by half a day. These guys wanted some, some ices. So I'm over there at this booth getting some ices, and there's an African-American uh, lady there helping me, and she looked like she's about college age, and, and I really wasn't paying attention there for a while because it was taking her a while to do them because she had to do them each individually and shave the ice and all. But then I got to notice this big tattoo on her, on her arm right here, and it got my attention. And I, I was trying to read it, but she kept moving it. You know, so I was like, you know, I didn't want to turn my head, but I was trying my hardest to read it. And I could see, Lord, I could see the word Lord, so I was trying to, what does it say? But it was in cursive. So I was trying my hardest. And finally, when she came up there to, for me to pay to the register part, I told her, I said, I got to know. I said, what's your tattoo say? I said, I'm trying to read it. I see the word Lord, but I can't read it. You keep moving your arm too fast. And she started quoting me that scripture. I said, Romans 8:28. She goes, yes, sir. I said, are you a Christian? She goes, and I, I love it. This was her look. She goes, yes, sir. 
you better know I am. I said, me too. I said, me too. So then I told her about, you know, me being a pastor and all. So anyway, I just thought it was awesome to share that with you. God gives you little moments like that during the day to encourage each other if we'll look for them, okay? I just figured if she had the word Lord on her, she had to be a Christian. So me and her had a good, good chat there for just a second. But I want you to notice the last, last passage here. And we are done. Go to, go to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is the living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Get this, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, let me, let me read that again in case you've dozed off, okay? I, I want you to get this. If you don't get nothing else, you want to leave with this thought. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So what does that mean? That we will all stand before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings one day, and we will all give an account. So as we get ready to close, I want to just stop mid-sermon there this morning, but I want to stop with this thought. I want us to go home with this sobering thought that there is nothing that's hid from the eyes of God this morning. Absolutely nothing. Even those things you think that are, they're not. Even those things that you think you got away with, you didn't. Okay? He knows all things. I believe He is a gracious God. I believe He's a merciful God. I believe He forgives us of our wrongdoings and our sins when we come before Him and we fall on our faces and on our knees before Him and we ask for His forgiveness. But listen, it's going to mean us coming clean before God. When you come clean before God, after you get that right with Him, if there's somebody else you need to go get right with, then you go get right with that person. But the first one is you and God need to do business. You have to start there. You can't move forward until you do. And honestly, I, I'm going to say this, and this will be the last thought, and then we will pray and have our invitation, but it is this. I've got to think that as church people, sometimes it's got to be very tiring, and it's got to wear us out by playing church and trying to impress a lot of people. Honestly, can I tell you one of the most liberating things that I've ever experienced in my life, and, and I've... I have not been a long time got there, but I am there, and it's been very liberating for me. And that is this, to quit caring what everybody thinks. That was a great day for me. That was a great day. Anybody else there? It's not that I don't want you to like me. It's not that I'm trying to offend you. But I got to a point where I realized that really nobody, cares, nobody matters at the end of the day except God. You can like me, don't like me, it really doesn't matter. Because if you're going to not like me, you're going to find a reason not to like me anyway. So I, you, don't, you ain't going to have to look very hard. 
But the point is, the one that really matters is God. And so why are we trying to fake it? Why are we trying to act like something we're not? Why are we trying to impress all those around us when we want to say, God, what do you see when you look at me? What do you see? God, am I living my life the way you'd have me to live it? As a Christian, God, am I what you want me to be? And if he says no, and you be honest with you, he would say that about every one of us in this room today. Because there's not one of us in this room that's doing everything that we need to be doing. Not one of us. We all have room to improve. But we need to come clean before God and just ask Him, God, are, are, are we what you would have us to be? And when He tells us or shows us, then we need to make the changes. But can I tell you something this morning? You can't make any changes in your life with God until He is first your Savior. If He's not your Savior this morning, if you've never come to a place where you've asked Him to save you and forgive you of your sins, then there's nowhere for you to go at this point. You need to take care of that first. Because you need to understand that God died on the cross for my sins, but He died for yours too. I'm not special. God died for all of us, but we all have to make a choice to ask Him to save us and to forgive us of our sins. Because why? We can't save ourselves. We're not that good. We're not good enough. We can't do enough stuff. That's why the Ten Commandments and the law exist in the Old Testament to show us that you can't keep them. So if we can't keep the law, we can't keep the commandments, then it tells us we're in trouble. So we need something or someone, and that someone is Jesus, that can pay the price for our sin debt. And that's what he did at the cross. When he died on that cross, he died for my past, my present, and my future sins. He died for all of them. He did the same for you. Different sins. A long time ago, I asked him to come into my life and save me. And if you've never done that, then you're still lost in your sins. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're lost and undone, but you don't have to go home that way. You don't have to go home that way. I believe God gave me this message today, and I believe you're here today because you needed to hear this. I needed to be reminded. But today could be your day of salvation, but it's your choice. You have to choose today what you're going to do with Jesus. No one else can choose that for you. It has to be you. So we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to ask the ladies to come in just a moment. They're going to sing. I'll be in front of the church. If you need to come down today, and, and I know we're doing the, uh, social distancing the best we can, but, uh, but if you listen, I'd rather die with the coronavirus than Jesus than to die uh, without him, okay? So if you need to come down front and talk to me today, you come down front and talk to me. I'll pray with you. I'll do the best I can to help you and wherever you're at. But don't go home without doing business with Jesus. Let's pray.